You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, For the Glory of God, recorded on Sunday, January 6th, 2019. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. It's 2019. I love 2019. We wash away 2018. Um, Good and the bad. It's gone, and we get a new year, thankfully, from the Lord. This is a very important message. We're hoping to set the tone for the whole year, uh, and and then we'll wait and see what God does with that year. Um, So with that said, if you're a first-time guest, my name's Mike. You may be sitting in Indiana, Pennsylvania, in Freeport, Pennsylvania, in Catanning, Pennsylvania, or you could be sitting in Petrolia Valley, Pennsylvania. You could be sitting in the jail um, or in India. All those places regularly hear this sermon, and we're happy you're here. Harvest Community Church belongs to God. We never want to be in the business of creating a kingdom. There is a king. He has a kingdom. We're a part of that. This is his church. We exist for his glory. We never want to be here for his shame. (laughs) We want to be here for his purposes. Therefore, as lead pastor, along with the elders, and there's about 20-something of them, or I think around 21, and all the members of Harvest, and I don't know how many members there are, there's several hundred, it's our responsibility to organize and behave according to the purposes of God for his church. In other words, church shouldn't just be done any old way. There's a ton of freedom, ton of freedom, because there's little defined in the Bible, but what we do, what the Bible does say, we want to stick to. And we do not approach church without a lot of theological thought, right? Um, We don't approach church like I approach my wardrobe, (laughs) right? And some of you may notice, you never know, if you pay attention, you'll see, I probably wear this church to, shirt to preach in more than any other shirt just because it's comfortable. Probably not smart. You think he only has one shirt. My wife wouldn't like that. I have many shirts. But this isn't the wardrobe. This is God's church, his bride. And the Bible is our guide for faith and practice. We believe it to be the very words of the living God. So what I would like to do is outline briefly from the Bible why we exist and big picture, not all the little details, big picture, how that affects how we do church, how we define ourselves. Say it that way. And then I'd like to get to some very specific things coming up uh, within weeks right here at Harvest and that should carry on in the months to come. So let's start with a text, Revelation chapter 19. We're going to begin with the end in mind. If you were to read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Leader, which you don't have to read, you'll see that he learned from God, that you, he st- every good thing is stolen from the Bible somewhere, that you should begin with the end in mind, and God does. What is the end to which God is doing everything for? That was a horrible sentence, but let's jump into the Bible Revelation 19, 6-9, this is the very end of human history as we know it. The story goes on after the Lord returns, but this is the end as we know it. And uh, we have a revelation from God. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. They imagine the voice of a lot of sound, a lot of voices. If you've ever been in a room with a lot of people talking at one time. But think of them, them speaking so it sounds like a roar, like waters roaring in a waterfall. I don't think we can really imagine this sound because it's going to be unified in words that you could understand. Like the sound of the mighty peals of thunder. And here's what the sound said. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Why do we exalt him? Because his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. 
Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So the world, as we know it, passes away. And the place who Jesus in one place in the gospel calls the new world has come. So whatever all of human history was going to yield, it has yielded. And the only thing left is a marriage. A marriage between two people, one called a bride, one called a lamb. The lamb is Jesus Christ. The word lamb refers to his sacrifice on a cross. It's a very Jewish picture. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's a lamb that you sacrifice to cover your sin. Well, Jesus Christ is God's lamb. He became a man so that he could die to wash away our sins. Now think about this. When all is said and done and the cross is thousands of years in the rearview mirror and there is no more suffering for sin for, by Christ or anyone else, still he's called the lamb. Still for eternity as we begin the new stage of human eternity. We are pointed back by the language to the cross. The cross remains and will always be the central picture of God's love. God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died. The the blood of Christ shed for mankind is always proclaimed. Even after there's no sinners to proclaim it to. The glory of God is in that. He's called the Lamb. But then he marries the bride. Who is the bride? Well, that's the church. We know the bride is the church. The righteous deeds of the saints give it away. And the saints are people who have come to Christ, who've been invited to the marriage supper, who love Jesus throughout time from all countries, all denominations. I have to be careful. I am not saying all people who go to all denominational churches will all be in heaven. Far from it. (laughs) Hell has a lot of good church members. (laughs) I'm certain of it. (laughs) But there will be the faithful from all different denominations and all corners of this world will be made up into one bride. And that is called the church or the assembly of God. But the assembly of God is not just a people gathered to be a mob. They're gathered to be a bride. A bride exists to be married. Someone once asked me, what is the ultimate purpose of the church? And they wanted to hear me say this, evangelism, of course, and then make them feel guilty. And we don't do enough evangelism. But that isn't what the Bible says. The ultimate purpose of the church is to receive love. You say, well, that sounds self-centered. In that relationship, who do you want to make greater, the bride or Christ? Christ, of course, He's the one who supplies the love. What's the bride there for? To receive his eternal affection. And she will respond with worship. She will worship. Ephesians 5 makes it clear that the church is the beloved of Christ. In instructions to husbands, Paul says, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You take the lead. You lay down your life. Why did he do it? That he might sanctify her. Christ laid down his life for us that he might make us holy. We're not holy. He makes us holy. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Why did Jesus die for us? So that he could purchase a bride that he could present to himself. In a wedding, who presents the bride? The Father. Well, regardless of how human weddings are, we get this picture, and feminists hate this picture, but they need it, because they're women too. They just forgot. Of someone comes and brings this beautiful, most beautiful in the room, and gives them as the ultimate treasure that this man could have as this as his wife. That's what the cross was about, to produce the bride. So he could be presented 
To who? To himself. Jesus presents, I don't know how he walks down the aisle and he jumps around and says, thank you. Who gives her to be married to me? I do. Okay, thanks. (laughs) In the same way, oh wait, that she might be holy and without blemish. He cleans us. He gets the glory. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh. He nourishes it. He cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Why? Because we are members, and I'm going to put in the word parts here. I think it's a better translation. We are parts of his body. Then, in Ephesians, Paul quotes Genesis, where marriage was instituted, and there was only Adam and Eve. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, says Paul, quoting Moses. And then he says this, this mystery I'm about to tell you, this mystery is profound. I'm saying that refers to Christ in the church. When I made Adam and Eve, says God, and I said, uh, he, in the beginning he made them male and female. <laughs> and, 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 and he said, the two shall become one. What was in the mind of God was the end. And that was Christ in the church. Every human marriage, whether tragic, beautiful, <laughs> whether filled with joy or endurance, whichever it takes, it always ends. It's always temporary, a shadow. The real thing is Christ and his church, and that was God's intention when he made humanity, when there were only two of us. This mystery is profound. It refers to Christ and the church. No other God, there is no other God, but all the other gods presented by men, no one loves like our God to take the sin like our God. The gospel, the good news is the cross, right? We will proclaim it all the time. Do you know why? Because human beings don't know this. They want to think God loves them, but they also know they're guilty. And they don't want God. They don't come in hungry for God. They come in hungry for other things. If it's cookies, we got them covered. If it's coffee, and that we want to feed that body. If your body wants a cookie, here. Somebody said, well, I don't want a cookie. Fine. Have some coffee. But they don't come in hungry for God. So we proclaim the message, and God gives them a hunger for something they didn't know they wanted himself. This is not a message to convince people that God is real. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that makes dead things come alive. And it's how he creates his church. Every one of you is here because of the message of the gospel. Somewhere along the line, if you are a Christian, something came alive in you and you said, that's more valuable than food to me. That's more valuable than my life. I want that. I didn't even know it was there. (laughs) Now I want it. It's the great love story. With that gospel, he creates the church. Some implications. One, the church is the most precious thing on earth. Now it may or may not be the most precious thing in your life. If everyone who called Harvest their church home really loved the church, we would not have room. Half the people who call Harvest their home church aren't here every week. So you may or may not have affection for the church. I don't know. But there's nothing else more precious in your life. You value what you choose. But you know, a child, a child, you see, the great thing about a baby or a, or a toddler is you can give them chicken fingers while you eat steak. <laughs> Saves a lot of money. Kids' table, they're like, we get chicken fingers, yeah. You're like, good, chickens don't have fingers, eat whatever's in front of you, we don't care. <laughs> Just saving 20 bucks, 20 bucks, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. And if you think chicken fingers are better than steak, that doesn't mean you're right. There's nothing more precious on this earth than the church. It's even more precious than our families. Now, I want to be careful here 
I'm not saying neglect your family. In fact, if you're a Christian, you'll love them more. If they're not saved, they're your mission field. If they are saved, they're part of the church. But the church is more precious than your family. And you say, well, that can't be. You follow a Savior who said, if you're not worthy to say, if willing to say that, you're not worthy to follow me. If you won't put me in front of them, it's more precious than your business. It's more precious than your reputation. It's more precious than your riches. It's more precious than your favorite sports team. It's more precious than your health. It's more precious than your safety. It's more precious than your nation. Because when everything is gone, the only thing that remains from the planet is the church. God saved the one thing he thought was worth saving. With that in mind, realize that all of history is a narrative that God is overseeing, managing, guiding, forming. It's, things aren't just happening. God is at work. And it's for eternal ends, not temporary ones. And the purpose of the church to receive the affection of Christ and to glorify him forever and to worship him and all those other things that go with it. We should still in this moment remember if God so loved the church, so should we. It is why I moved to western Pennsylvania. Glad to be here. I am. I had no family here. Raised some kids and they said, this ain't our home and they moved away on me. Well, brats. But nothing is more precious in my life. Nothing, there's nothing I dedicate myself to more. And when I find my heart running after something else, idolatry like it likes to, I chase it back. And many of you are the same way, and it's a pleasure to serve this church with you been here 14 years people through the proclamation of the gospel have gone from being dead to being alive we've seen it some being battered because they had no church to go to came in and they went from life support to thriving there's nothing more valuable than the church second each member of the church is connected to Jesus. And by here, I don't mean the people who have taken the membership class. I do think you should take the membership class eventually. We at Harvest do not twist arms to get you into membership because we do not want people who don't want to be here, really. You can be a spectator as long as you want. But we value it. But anyone who knows Christ is part of his church. Being part of a church is like being part of a crowd or part of a mob. It could be in your mind. I went to many Penn State football games. They played for me. I paid a ticket. They entertained me. The cheerleaders were there to lead me. The concession people were there to sell to me. The parking was there for me. Do you think I felt like an individual there? Absolutely not because they were also there for 100,000 other people. And I had to stand in line to go to the bathroom. And they gave me a, I paid all that money, I got this much bench to sit on. I felt like I was in a wedding picture for three hours. Now, you could run the risk of thinking that's what the church is like. You're a part of a blob, but it's not. Our God is so great that he knows your middle name, your first name, your last name. <laughs> he cares about you. He counts your hair. He counts your hair. <laughs> he loves you. He, he, he uses this picture, this, this, this uh, analogy. You're, he makes you a part of his body. Now, I never felt like a part of the Penn State body. <laughs> I just felt like, well, I just... Don't even know what I felt like. I was tired and ready to go home. Every single one of you matters. We are not a beloved blob. Back to our text. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. This is why, you know, this is not about husbands and wives tonight, but this is, husbands, stop looking at your wife as an enemy. She's you. 
Well, I want to yell at her. You want to yell at you. <laughs> I want to make her feel bad. You want to make yourself feel bad. That's what this is saying. Nobody says, oh, I'm so mad. Give me a fork. <laughs> Ow! You cherish. Clean that little scratch band-aid for the boo-boo. That's what just as Jesus does the church. Big blob, right? Because we are members. That's individual. Members is parts. I don't even know why they translate that members. Parts is better. We are parts of his body. So each member is connected to Jesus. Third, the church has a local expression. There are some... Because relationships are hard, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, your family members are sinners, your friends are sinners, and that's the problem with them. I know, if everyone would just see it your way, things would be easier. They think the same thing about you. And some people say, well, I don't, I don't need the local church, I have Jesus, and I listen to Charles Stanley on the television. Well, I guess that's good for a Bible class. But that's not a biblical model. The church has a local expression. To be part of the big church, you're part of the little church. Like if you say, I'm a player in the National Football League. Great, which team do you play for? I don't play for any of the teams. I think they're all just in it for money. They're all hypocrites on those football teams. I'm a pure lover of football, so where do you play? Out in the backyard by myself. You're not in the NFL, dum-dum. People say, I don't. Those churches are full of hypocrites. I'm not into organized religion. I'm above all that. You're not even on the team. The letters of the New Testament were written to local churches. All the instructions given were meant to be applied within a community. Along with that is Christians as individuals are each tasked with building the church. One, the hardest thing sometimes as a pastor is re-educating or uneducating people who've been trained in other churches to think they are there as customers and spectators. To stop thinking like that. Because it's not a biblical way of thinking. You, if you call Harvest your home, your mission is to build Harvest. It's why you live. It's why I go to work. Yes. It's how you're going to pay for the family that you use to build harvest. That's why you exist. To build the thing that lasts forever. Let me show it to you in the text so you know. And by the way, harvest isn't the issue. The church is the issue. If you don't like harvest, find another Bible-believing church. Go build that one. But build the church. Here it is. God gave the apostles... The Big 12, the prophets, all those people who wrote the Old Testament is probably what's being referred to. People argue that one. I'm not going to talk about it today. The evangelists, those people out there preaching to the lost. The shepherds and teachers, that's the elders, shepherds and teachers. Why did he give these leaders to the church? To equip the saints, that's you, for work of ministry. To do what? To build up the body of Christ. I don't exist to do the work of ministry. I exist to get you to do the work of ministry. Jumping down a couple verses, rather, speaking the truth in love, look what it says we're to do collectively. We're to grow up in every way into Jesus, into the head, this is the body image, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together, what holds us together? Every joint. You could be a joint. You could be like an elbow or a finger joint. You could be that little skin right under the armpit. I don't know. I think I'm that little stuff between the toes. It's always a little itchy, a little moist. It's nice when you clean it. (laughs) I don't know what spot you are. But we're joined and held together by what? By one another. Joined and held together by one another with which it's equipped when each part. Now, don't take it personal if God calls you a part. He he knows you're a human. (laughs) But right now, you're a part is working properly. We're supposed to, as individuals, bring our unique selfhoods, not be like anyone but ourselves, into the community and make it work. Why? Because it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
The ultimate goal of everything the church does is to build up the church itself. The ultimate goal is not evangelism. It is not missions. (laughs) It's not to have functions. It's not to get a pastor to visit every sick person. None of those are the goal. All of those are just means. The goal is to build the church itself. So at the end of time, she's ready for the husband. Each part working properly. The way we cooperate with God's ultimate, this is a horribly designed sentence. When I was looking it over, I said, why didn't I at least put a comma and a colon? Here's how I do that. The way we cooperate with God's ultimate purpose of presenting his bride to his son at the end of all things, at least put a colon there after is, is with a colon. We live to build up his local church. That's why I exist on the planet, to build his local church. And I don't have to be the pastor for that to be why I exist on the planet. I love my wife. She's a sister in Christ. I want to build her up. Why? Because she's a part of the church. I love my children. I want to disciple them. First evangelize them because we didn't have sinners, or or, we were all sinners, but we didn't have unredeemed, unrepentant sinners in our house until my wife started having babies. Right? She was saved. I was saved. We're both washed in the blood, forgiven all our sins, and then these little sinners come, and they need to be born again. (laughs) And unlike sinners you meet on the street, they stay in your house, eat your food, sleep in your bed. So we evangelize them like nuts. We were trying to grow the church by evangelizing the little sinners God gave us. And as they got saved, we disciple them. Why? So the church would grow with healthy people. Because disciples is what makes them healthy. I don't have another purpose. You say, what if you live alone? I need to get out and see some humans so I can encourage them. If they're lost, to get saved, join a church. If they're saved, to do what God's called them to do. I'm here to serve you. And you're here to serve me so that we can be a good church. That's Christian. That's the reason you exist. Now make your life fit those priorities. That's your job. I can shout it. I can't do it for you. I can't go blessings on you. Bam. You have to choose that. So we say our vision here at Harvest is to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. It's not just a phrase we throw out because every church needs a phrase today and every church does need a phrase today because they all have them. We have them too. But ours... I would shed my blood for. By the way, if we can avoid that option, (laughs) I'm also for that. I love the idea of not shedding my blood and the Lord comes back and I just go to heaven with no pain. But it's not promised. Everything that the mature members, not the people who first come in, they got to learn this, but as you mature and become one of the core members of Harvest over time, It takes some longer than others. That's your goal. To work together with me to increase the health and size of this church plus any other church. I want to ask and answer two questions. This big picture. I'll be happy to answer little questions not on this stage because of time and I don't know what you're thinking but you can email me or text me or catch me after a service. How, but these are big questions. How do we know what a healthy church looks like? If we, if we want a healthy church, what does that look like? Well, there's a lot could be said. We're going to boil it down here. Given, by the way, that the, the Bible is the heart and the gospel is the center. I've already said that. If you don't have the right gospel or the Bible, forget it. But given those things, a healthy church looks like you're creating people who increasingly strive to love God and love each other. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another. How much do I got to love this person in the front row? Don't make it too much, God, because I got other people I got to love more. As I have loved you. Well, that's an awful lot for the guy in the front row. (laughs) That's how much. You mean I'm supposed to be trying to build a community where we all love each other as much as you loved us and you loved us so much you died for us? Yes. That sounds like an impossible task. Jesus says, well... You're following me? I don't ask for a little, I ask for a lot. 
By this, all people will know you're my disciples. Not by your politics, not by your bumper sticker, not by your church label, not by your Facebook page, although those posts are nice, all the crosses and the words and whatnot. They'll know you're my disciples for realsy, for keeps, if you behave towards other Christians with tremendous love. The people who don't want to be part of the local church say, well, I'm a good Christian, and I love, I love the sinners better than they do. So you hate the Christians, love the sinners, and think you're a better Christian. I don't think you read the same Bible. You, they'll know you. I was at uh, Starbucks writing my sermon yesterday, and a brother came in. By a brother, I mean another Christian. Goes to the Freeport campus, and, and he was with another guy from college. They're both in college. And when we said goodbye, and I just met that guy, when we said goodbye, he and I hugged, and I didn't even think about it. We hugged. And the other guy, I shook his hand. <laughs> the other guy, I think my friend is working on so that he'll get the gospel. <laughs> I'm not trying to de- demonstrate. I'm just being myself. And I left, and I thought, that was strange. I hugged him, and you don't even think about these things. But what did he see? He saw this old man, because that's what I am to a college kid, and a young man hugging. They hug when they say goodbye. What kind of a priest is that? Well, pfft, shouldn't have said that. For those of us ex-Catholics, I'm sorry to bring that up. We are disciples of Jesus. A healthy church grows in thinking and acting like Jesus. He said, love like me. Love like me. Love like me. We already know he said the greatest commandment is love God. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. So a healthy church aims for love. Not perfect because it's filled with sinners. The first sinner in every church is the pastor. But we try. Second question I want to ask the answer is why does our vision statement include growing the size of the church? I am constantly, not constantly, continually run into people who think it's unscriptural to be concerned with the numbers of people in a church. I know what they mean. What they're saying is you think you're more spiritual because you're bigger. You're not. And that's true. Joel Osteen, I would not call that a healthy church. His theology doesn't make healthy disciples. Nothing personal. It just doesn't. But he has a lot more people there than any other church in the country. So I agree. But to not be concerned about size is often a cowardly cop-out. Why? Because Jesus is concerned with the numbers of people. The people who aren't believers, where do they go when they die? They go to hell to pay for their sin. Jesus cares. The only way to change that is grow your church. There's no other way to change it. Now, God gives the growth. We plant seeds. God makes it grow or doesn't make it grow. You can preach to 20 people and no one believes. And that's not your fault. And you can preach to 10 and eight of them believe. Again, it's not because you're amazing. Either way, God gives the growth. But to not be concerned with the process, uh, it's like a farmer saying, oh, you think you're a better farmer just because your crops are in the field. Well, isn't that why we farm? Jesus said, go, therefore. This is his last words, according to Matthew. I don't think it's the last thing he said. Could be wrong. But it's the last thing Matthew thought we needed to know by the Holy Spirit. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Go to the whole world. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's evangelism. Never baptize people you haven't evangelized. They think you're trying to drown them. Come here. <laughs> That's evangelism. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. After you've baptized them, teach them how to act like me. And behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. So we can stop doing this when? When I get back. Look, Jesus leaves his church with a mandate to grow the church. How can you be a healthy church 
without intending to grow. It doesn't mean you're unhealthy because you're small. It doesn't mean you're healthy because you're large. But there's nothing healthy about making disciples that aren't trying to grow the church. Does that make sense? If you make disciples, so if you obey Jesus, if we as a church obey Jesus and make disciples, go get people and baptize them, make disciples, they need to enter the local church. So either the church you have grows or, better still, a new church is planted. You plant a second church. Either way, you fulfill our vision. We have four campuses. It fulfills the vision. Whether one campus grows or another campus grows doesn't matter. We have people in another country planting churches. Fulfills the vision. We... We support missionaries who are planting churches that have nothing to do with harvest and we send them money so they can do what they do and grow the church. It fulfills the vision. But to have no growth strategy at all, you'll never be a healthy church. Never. You'll be an us for, no more, incestual, one family dominated, let's all fight church. That's what you'll be. And who hasn't seen enough of that already? Some say, why should we be concerned with folks who aren't local then? I mean, we have a responsibility locally, but we can't save the whole world. I agree, we cannot. But locally, every one of us is an evangelist, whether you like it or not. You go to work, you go to school, you go to your family, you're in conversations that the so-called leaders of your church aren't in. I've already got, if you want to look at it this way, the best missionary force I could have locally. I have hundreds of people spread out throughout the county who can tell the gospel. It's covered. Most all our resources are to do things for those people. But if nobody thinks it's their job to bring the gospel to people who aren't going to ever walk in your door and plant a church out there. If nobody does that, then nobody will bring them the gospel. And you will say, let somebody else. Who, pray tell? No one else is charged with it. No one else is given the job. The local church is God's plan to reach China. Okay, period. To reach India. Let's go with India, because most their folks are lost. Now, the local church in India cannot reach India because it's almost non-existent. So that doesn't make any sense. So that means the local church in China has to think about India. The local church in South Korea, because it's big there, has to think about India. And the local church in America has to think about India, because if none of us will do it, if everyone says maybe someone in India will do it, someone in India won't do it, because no one's saved in India. It's our job. It's not a lack of love for the local people. In fact, it's a love for the local people. Because one thing I know is that when God does his accounting on the last day and he sees that somebody from a green hillside in western Pennsylvania dedicated money, prayers, or maybe even a friendship to get someone else to bring people to Christ in some dry desert land, what do you think the Father will say to you, to that person? He'll say, well done. And I want you to hear well done. Harvest, by the way, (laughs) we did send three families to another country and some folks have gotten saved. Churches are being begun, very small churches. They have to do house churches in illegal places. That's what you got to do. We're guided by the Bible. John 10, 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And that he's talking about the Jews. He says, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. They will. They will listen if someone tells them. He didn't go to India. We have to. <laughs> right? They will listen if someone will go. 
in Cambodia, they'll listen, someone's got to go. They will, but it's going to happen. What is his goal? What is his goal in sending missionaries? By the way, some people think the purpose of the church is to be a mission organization. It is not. It's, it's to build itself. Some people think the only reason the church exists is for evangelism. That's wrong. If you think that way, you'll get backwards. The purpose of the church is to build itself up in love. And that's what Jesus says, even in this mission-saturated command. I have sheep who are not of this Jewish fold. They need to hear my voice. And he's going to die on that Jewish land, raised from the dead, go to heaven. He ain't going to the other lands. We got to be his voice. So that is about as a mission-soaked verse as you can have. And why does he want missions? Here's his answer. So there'll be one flock. Because I'm building the church. I got some Chinese folks who need to be in my church. I know who they are. Go get them. Well, if the local church don't go get them, they don't get God. So, at harvest, and it's not just the families we sent. We try to finance as generously as we can with what we have. And we, I don't mean me and the leaders. I mean we, all of us collectively, who put money in that bucket or like I do, give on your phone. We take what we have, and we give to other missionaries who we didn't send from here. Somebody else sent them. But we also exist to help churches that don't have the name Harvest over the door whenever we can. That's part of our mission. It never... I want, for example, take your... your your paid pastors, it's called that. They need to take care of their business at home first. In other words, dad shouldn't be paying the neighbor's rent if your rent ain't paid, right? You don't fix a neighbor's car if your car don't run. Fix your own car, then help the neighbor. But if they're taking care of their business, doing the duties in this flock like they're told, and they're called, could you come do a retreat for us? Could you come teach us this? Could you do that? You know what we say? We want you to be in the habit of saying yes. It won't bring anyone to harvest. You going 200 miles away doing a retreat. But you'll build that church and that's our vision. And we try to live for that. It, it's hard when learning small town, bigger church than some others. You can hurt other churches by trying to help them. I've seen that. <laughs> in other words, you go and try to help them and their people jump to you and they might have should have stayed. <laughs> um, but there's been churches we've invested weeks of studies with undercover. <laughs> um, Living Waters Church is a, let's call it a friend. If you've heard of Living Waters in Katanning, we knew their founding pastor. Some people here have a better relationship with their newer pastor. He's a good guy. You can see him on YouTube. And um, for a while, when they were starting, they were borrowing our drum stuff and chairs and you say, well, why would you do that? The people who go to that church could be going to harvest. They could, but they're not. They're going there. Let's make sure that's a healthy church too. That vision isn't going to change. We did a worship conference here. We made sure to invite every other church in the area. We paid some dude to come out from Seattle. He was awesome. It was a great worship conference. I wish every church in the area had sent their team. They didn't, but about 10 of them did, and all of them were blessed. All of them went back to their churches happy. And you know what we got out of that from those churches? Nothing. Except the joy of knowing we were doing what God wants us to do. Every woman's event, you've got to be proud of almost every women's event in this church, in every campus, almost always, blesses women from other churches. We invite women from other churches so they can go back blessed. This last um, Beth Moore thing, women from all over the place came. Went back to their churches blessed. That's what we want. I, I can't give you all the examples. I, I want to share something cool though. Another church that, that has a similar mindset that uh, we went, me and uh, a couple guys went out to a conference. And we're in this conference in this room. And at 10.02 in the morning, a bunch of alarms went off on watches. And I knew why. But if you, weren't, if you didn't know why, you probably, why did all their alarms go off? And the guy up front stops and gives a short prayer, and then they go on. You know what they were doing? Luke 10.2 says this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And, and what they would say, if you asked them, is, do you realize this is the only place we can find where Jesus gives us a prayer request? You know, prayer request, oh, I got a stomach ache, my Aunt Maud's hurting, this and that. Good, we should pray for those. But yes, Jesus, I only have one prayer request, the whole New Testament. What is it? Pray that more people come up out of the local church and go out. So at 10.02, they all prayed that every day. Around here, some of the guys set their watches for 10.16 and pray for the people over there. If there's a great verse you like that's in chapter 32, forget it. We're not praying. Because <laughs> of what? <laughs> but that, that's a beautiful thing. If you look at Matthew 9, where that verse is quoted, you'll see the context. Jesus is actually looking over the crowds, and he has compassion for them because he says they are helpless and harassed. And he's looking out at the task, and that's when he says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers. There's more people who need to be saved, but there's not enough workers. We sent 30 people, 30 people right now as I'm talking, not on Sunday when I'm some of you are right now is Sunday, but some of you right now is Friday. They're, they're coming back from Louisville, Kentucky. Well, the whole goal of that conference we took them to was to convince every one of them to leave home and go to an unreached people group. We're trying to get rid of your kids. And not because we hate you. Because Jesus said, pray that. They're dying out there. It's our vision. And so, this is our vision, colon. <laughs> um, that, that should be our next, I think, I think it's a, a fill-in on our map. This is our vision, colon, to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. If that's not underlined, it, it, it should have been. Is it? Yeah, it is. How do we do this? We do this by making disciples who do three things. And, and that, no time for the sermon on these three things. That's another sermon. But to sum up, they love one another, they walk with their God, and they seek the lost. Because disciples are concerned with all three of those things. We care for one another because we're all broken and weak and hurting. We're like doctors who are sick, right? <laughs> we're like, right? But still, God uses us. So we love one another, but we walk close to our God. That's what a disciple does, and is always looking for lost folks in whatever manner he can. That is the heartbeat of what we're about. In the mundane, every day, through the calendar year, it's hard to think about those things, Right? Much like a marriage, you, hopefully you have passion for one another. But sometimes when the sink is full of dishes and, and, and the bills are here and the pressure's up, you're not thinking, oh, how passionately I love my wife or husband. But you do. You remember that you're guiding light and so you wash the doggone dishes, you pay the doggone bills, and you hope for a rest so you can remember how much you love your wife because it's all part of it. Well, that's our guiding light. And yeah, during, sometimes it's, it's just begging for people to teach the kids in the back, it looks like. But the reason we do it, because we're trying to make disciples of your little sinners so that we can grow the church. Last year, we began what we call the next initiative. This is for the wisdom of the leaders. Hopefully it's wise. We said, look, all our facilities, all our people and all our money we don't see how we can keep pushing out. We're having trouble maintain, maintaining. So we said to the church, pretty much, could you double our resources for two years? Right? Double the resource. It pretty much comes out to that. Instead of $2 million in two years, we want $4 million in two years. And you responded. And I responded. I'm with you on this. And you have been generous You've been keeping your word. I've been keeping my word. I'm, waiting, I'm in it with you. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying we're in this together.
and it's helped us. We said our facilities, our personnel, our technology, and our finances, we're doing all we can do. We were skimming by. <laughs> let, let me hit the finances briefly. We, were, we have a, an emergency account with $150,000 in it last year at this time. And it's an emergency account, so you don't spend it. But you sure need it. And our other account, the one you write the checks from, every payroll day, sometimes there were extra expenses. Something had to be fixed. Something had to be done. Some ministry had to happen. You, you cross your fingers, you pray, and dang it, there's enough in the cupboard this, this week too. How many of you know that at your house? <laughs> so you pay the bills, pay the people. Well, this year at this time, and it hasn't even been a year, it's been six months, seven months, we have $160,000 in our checking account that's working liquid cash that we use to pay the bills. That's about 140000 more than last year because you gave. We still have 150, actually we have 170 in our emergency account. I don't know how that went up, but it did. And we have $350,000 in an account we just call our next account right now. That's because you were faithful because I was faithful. And by the way, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> It, 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 it pinches me like it pinches you, but I keep finding that if I cast my bread on the water, God casts it back, don't you? And so I'm thanking you, and I'm saying we've already been, that doesn't count what we spent, because we have been. Improvements that I won't list, uh, little improvements all over the place. Paid off the remaining mortgage here, we fixed the water we paved, a big one was we paved a lot. Paving costs so much. Why is that? How did the Romans do it? The PVC, various other construction projects. One of the most exciting is we began working with Nello Construction. Um, we've mostly invested a lot of money in, in all our campuses as we add them. It is really time to invest in the building I'm standing in. So we've been talking with Nello Construction. And by talking, you write them a check, then they talk to you. That's how it works. <laughs> First talk is free. Everything after that is, would you like a piece of paper with a picture on it? Yes. Give us some money. And you give them money and they give you a picture. And then you tell them what you think of the picture. And then they say, would you like us to give you a more detailed picture? Yes. Give us some more money. That's how it works. I got this construction thing down. I don't spite it. People are worth what they're good at. So we're hoping to get this sanctuary much bigger, a proper stage. Everything will look different here. Our office is consolidated, more classrooms, different fellowship space. That's going to be a big deal. Now, I don't expect the next initiative to pay for it, but it'll get it started. And we're in a position we can actually talk to the bank, and they might look at us seriously. Right? And it's because of you. And it's needed. It's needed. We're a cheap bunch, fairly frugal. Um, some of you are saying, I know you are. Why don't you pave this lot? That probably won't eat, that we don't even include that one in this budget yet. Can't imagine what that will cost. Our technology we're working on, we, there's a church out in California called North Coast that has like 37 venues that they use screens and everything. We got their guru named Dennis Choi. He came out, he went to every one of our campuses, met with every one of our tech teams and all our pastors, looked over everything we did. When he saw how we were running four campuses on just volunteers and the equipment we were using and just one camera, he said, I don't know how you're doing this. He thought we were like MacGyver, like we had string, (laughs) got some paper clips, some gum. And he told us what we kind of already knew. Don't even think about another campus till his recommendation to you hire someone who's over all your tech. And so we've been looking for that person. We were hoping it's a global person, someone with a real shepherding spirit who also likes tech. We're having a lot of trouble finding that person, and frankly, it's bottlenecking us. So now we're starting to think of creative ways. Is there a way maybe we can get someone who who does? It doesn't matter. The point is, we're able to go have the search. We will get the person, and the technology change uh, is mostly has to do with changing out old equipment, improving the quality of recording, So I'm not real little, or whoever's up here isn't real little. Better playback. We want to produce and implement a radio strategy. Um, All that is technologically driven. We don't want to do too much changes without whoever we're going to put over it here. So we're still looking. If you know a godly person who's interested in 
who loves the church. We don't need a techie who wants to be a nerd, who loves the church and isn't afraid of technology. Have them apply. We've expanded our office staff by one. Uh, I'm not going to get into our details, but it's all to do with words and language. It really helps speed our website production. We've been actively looking for new leads for campuses, still are, but part of that led to an Indiana possibility where we could have had a whole new building. Didn't, fell through, but it led to a couple of good partnerships. One with a group called the Salt Network. That's the 1002 people. And, and they are more than willing to help us when we're ready to do something more on a college campus. We also have partnered with the Southern Baptist Convention of Pennsylvania, New Jersey. I want to be careful how I said that. We partner with them. We are still a non-denominant. We're still the same church. No one governs us except us, Right? But we can see ways we can work together with them to plant churches, to help struggling churches. And also, because I got a degree from a Southern Baptist seminary, by partnering with them, we can offer new workers, whether at the college level, getting out of high school, or at the seminary level, we can offer them up to 18 credits right here. Right here. You don't have to go away to get you started in ministry. And there are other reasons in our outreach and missions, we had Megan and Christian Hall, a young couple who's been going to this church for a long time, that were originally part of our team that went to India. Well, they didn't go to India. for The Lord didn't lead them that way. And they finished a lot of training with um, a group called New Tribes, which is now Ethnos 360. But frankly, we weren't going to be able to help them much. But because of the next initiative, they asked us, would we be their sending church? We said yes. It's still not determined where they're going, but here's the exciting part, folks. You people who have been helping uh, with your tithes and with your love to plant churches among the unreached in India, there's going to be another people group somewhere on this planet who for the first time ever gets people bringing them the gospel. And we are going to be the primary sender. Not the only one, but the primary one. Because we want to send them. And isn't that a privilege God gives us? And and, um, perhaps one of the biggest changes here is uh, Fred Neal III. We have two Fred Neals here. We have a second and a third. Fred Neal III is our campus pastor at Petrolia Valley. He's been with us at Harvest since I got here 14 years ago. And he was here right after college. So I don't know if he's been here 16 years, 15 years. And he's done everything. He's been our youth pastor. He's done a lot of administrative things. He's been a campus pastor. He preaches a lot. People, he's a pretty good preacher, I think. What do you guys think? Um, Well, we pray that the, the Lord of the Harvest would send up workers, and he's sending Fred. Fred is going to leave Harvest and plant a brand new church in Lower Borough area. Yeah, so he's leaving. By that I mean he's not, it's not going to be harvest. But he's ours, and we're sending him. And um, so he's going to plant a brand new church. It's going to be called Redemption. They, they plan to start meeting, God willing, in the fall. But he's leaving. The 13th will be his last Sunday here, which is next week. All right? And he's going to seek to form a core group. Now, most of those core groups, they come from people he knows. Most of them are going to come right here from Harvest. And I want to prepare you for that. You may lose some friends. You may lose some ministry workers. And, uh, and if it's you, by the way, who's going to be part of that small core team, because the core team works with you until you go to your big launch. They don't want everybody before that. If it's you, here's what I want you to know as your lead pastor. I don't want you to go. And I mean that. I love you. I like you. He's not going to, if you're a really troublesome person, he ain't picking you anyway. (laughs) So he's only going to be pissed people I'm going to really miss. So I'm saying I do not want you to go. I want you here. You are wanted right here at Harvest. That said, if he talks to you and on hearing him, you think, no, This is what God would have me do. I do not want you to stay. It's emotionally difficult. And I know Satan is going to try to get into some hearts. He will, because envy is always close. 
Why is he taking my friend away from me? Don't let Satan have that. I look at it like my own children. I love my daughter in California, my son in South Carolina. Daddy, do you want us to move to another state? Are you stupid? No. You, but if you think this is what you need to do under God as a Christian, then I don't want you to stay. And, the, and so that's our position. I am excited about a church in Lowerboro area. Have you driven through there lately? There are so, talk about helpless and harassed people in need of a shepherd. Just go that way and look around. And a man who trained up right here with us is going to go plant a church. Isn't that great? Um, We're going to help him. Your next initiative is going to help us help him at the beginning. And that's when he needs the most help. They're going to plant it their way, so we're not running it or telling them how to do it. But the hardest part is stepping away from a job with a paycheck to go start this thing. So, you're going to pay them. For the first six months, you're going to pay Fred to not be here with your next initiative money. That's what, so that we can have a church where the people don't go here. And treasure in heaven. And then for the next six months, a much reduced gift we're going to give. We've already got it planned out. Much reduced. So he's got six months where he doesn't have to worry. He can start doing what he does. We have a hand in that. Now, by the way, I know this sermon is long. I know I've just messed up everyone's schedule. But we got to get all this out. So let me get it all out. Since January 13th will be his final Sunday at Harvest, in in the short term, Jack Bowser is going to be the weekend campus pastor. He's He's been the... I was going to say he's our oldest elder. He's not our oldest elder, but he's been, that, he's been a leader in this church longer than anyone else, including me. Um, and he will be there, and Rodney Miller will be assisting throughout the week. Now, we also have plans for change in the ministry of a campus pastor in Freeport, Mike Harvey. Mike Harvey has done a tremendous job. He came to us from Seneca Hills where he was a leader. His wife is, uh, does a terrific job at Evangel Heights discipling kids and uh, she's, she runs that show as a vice principal. And they started coming to Harvest and then FCC, Faith Community Church, said we need leaders. Their leaders asked us to take that congregation so we did and we said, Mike, would you be the campus pastor? He has done a tremendous job doing what's needed to transition One group of people who completely think differently than us on how to do church. Many who left, they all knew they were loved by Mike. Many who stayed all knew they were loved by Mike. Bringing all those people into the community so they all knew that the HCC is in Freeport. And if you go to Freeport campus, like I do very frequently, because it's near my house, you know it's a very loving, warm, it's a harvest church. But we actually want to move Mike out of it to do something else. First, we want him, we think our community groups, which we love, need more global leadership now. They've always just been led kind of by each campus. He's going to be the pastor of our community groups. We're going to let him do that for three months to figure out how to do it, what he wants to do, and grow these things for the health and size of our church. Then, starting in Easter, He's going to be moved to be the campus pastor up at, the, at the Petrolia Valley campus where we're going to ask him to do exactly what he's doing at Freeport. Love the people, reach that community. And we think he's a perfect fit. Then at Freeport, what's going to happen? Well, we are committed to those people. We are committed to that congregation. So if you're listening to me in Freeport, it's been our plan. We, looking over that footprint, where they are geographically, nobody goes through Freeport very much, unless you live in Freeport. That congregation has been out in the community telling everyone, we're here like Horton hears a hoop. <laughs> the building is very small, too small. 
The parking lot's too small, and there's no street parking unless you want to die. And if you know where it is, you know what I mean. So it's, it's been in our minds for a couple of years, and Pastor Mike has been telling them this, that if you go down the river a little bit towards Terenum and Natrona Heights, there's a lot of people there who need Jesus. Eventually, we'd like to move them from there to there. <laughs> so what we're going to do is send me to be their campus pastor. Um, I'm going to be the campus pastor for the foreseeable future. My job is to feed, love, get to know those people and get them all ready to expand our footprint and go so that we can be more effective for the gospel somewhere else. It's a healthy little church where it is. We want it to grow. That means that we're going to move that service time to 6 p.m. because I can't be in two places at once. So Harvest will have a Friday night service Sunday night services in, in three locations and a, a Sunday morning services in three locations and a Sunday night service in one location. Anyone from Harvest, go to any service, get the same sermon, worship God. That will start in two weeks. The 13th will be Pastor Mike's last week there. And for the, everyone thinking all this through, I want to remind you the church is not a building, it's a people. Buildings are just things. And, and frankly, they're a blessing. Free churches can do it. Free nations. But they're also a difficulty. Because they normally define what you do, get your culture stuck in whatever year you planted. This is why this needs a facelift where I'm standing now. Because it looks like it did in 2000, mostly. Except that really nice balcony. <laughs> And the culture gets stuck because you have a building, which doesn't happen in house churches because in your house you naturally change. So it's not the biggest deal in the world to me to ditch a campus building in Freeport. I love the campus building in Freeport. It's been good to us. But that's not the church. The church are the people. And to them we're committed. In all these things... We're seeking to glorify our God. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.